Amen. Please be seated. It is good to see all of you here this day, and as we come to the Word of God, I invite you to please turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures once again to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, as we continue to look at the fruit traits that the Holy Spirit produces in those in whom He truly resides. Galatians 5, at verse 22, enlisting the fourth out of the nine qualities given here, Paul says in Galatians 5 at verse 22, Galatians 5 at verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious God, we are so grateful that we can be in your presence this day corporately as a local body so thankful, Lord, that you have gathered us together in this place to proclaim the excellencies of your name, to bow low before you in humble contrition, and to worship you with all that we've got. Oh, great God, we are so thankful for your loving kindness to us, your people. And Father, again, as we come this time to your word, we are asking that you would give us fresh help from on high, we're asking, O oh God, that you would animate and anoint all that will be said and done. Praying, O oh God, for myself and those who would hear me, that you would give us, O oh God, your truth in copious measure. O oh Lord, come, we pray this day, with a sanctifying word. And come, O oh God, with a saving word to those who do not know you. O oh Lord Jesus, come, have the preeminence in our midst. We do pray and ask all of these things in your own wonderful and mighty name. Amen. Now, if you've heard the saying once, then you've heard it a thousand times. And it goes, patience is virtue. Now, having said this, I would imagine that most of you here this day would acknowledge uh, that while patience is virtue or a good trait for us to have in our lives, it's often a struggle for most of us to practice toward others. In fact, I don't know about you, dear ones here this day, but if you're like most, then you will find that the older you get, your patience begins to run thin. I mean, whether it's while you're uh, standing on the uh, checkout line in the store and there's a delay before you or when uh, someone pulls uh, before you or in front of you on the highway and then begins to drive very slowly, uh, these things tend to bother all of us. They tend to irritate us and annoy us. Thus, I believe that patience is a universal human struggle. It is that which we all tend to fall short of. Now having said this, when Paul speaks here in our passage for today telling us that a fruit which the Holy Spirit produces in us who are Christians is long-suffering, or as it is in some versions of the Bible, patience, the question is, is it just that he's telling us here that the Holy Spirit will produce in us the ability to keep our cool when things get hot 
even as unbelievers without the Holy Spirit can do from time to time. Well, while certainly this is an aspect of it, I think that this idea falls short of all that our word and view for today teaches you and I from Holy Scripture. I mean, to be sure, dear ones here this day, a biblical patience does do this, but not merely this in a worldly way, no. And why? Well, it's because this fruit which the Holy Spirit generates in us is a supernatural disposition. It's that which is extraordinary. Consequently, it is that which equips us to have ability which goes far beyond you and I simply being able to deal with the minor inconveniences of life. Now, because this is the case, because this is so, I am excited to speak to you about our theme for today. This topic of patience, or as it is in the New King James Version of the Bible, long-suffering, is that which is absolutely vital for you and I to take up. And I say this because without exercising it in our lives, you and I will be living contrary to the will of God. Thus, my prayer for today is that our study will be useful for all of us in this place. And so as we come then for this morning to consider our subject at hand, I ask you please to notice with me first the definition of long-suffering according to the Bible. Now personally, for myself, I like the word long-suffering, again as it is in the New King James Version of the Bible. I like this word better than patience as a term since it describes the essence of our word at hand more accurately. This one Greek word here for long-suffering is actually made up of two Greek words in the original language, and the first word means distant or far off, and the second word means temper or anger. And so, in putting these two words together, these two thoughts into one, we see that what the apostle is telling us here in our verse is that one gospel disposition that the Holy Ghost puts in those who are saved is that by his grace and power, those who are saved can be individuals who can be slow at being angry. He says that for us who are saved, we can be people who are in fact full of forbearance. Now having said this, we need to ask now the important question which is, slow at being angry towards whom? And full of forbearance towards whom? Well, dear ones here this day, the context of our word and view for this morning is clear, and it's towards one another in this place, right? It's towards the brethren our brothers and sisters in our own congregation, who at times, if you can believe it, can get under our skin. Now, of course, this truth would have been extremely vital, very important for the Galatians themselves to be aware of, to whom Paul is writing, 
And this is because, again, according to verse 15 of this chapter, some of them were not always getting along since Paul says there that they were biting and devouring one another. These people at times were having various contentions among themselves, various outbursts of wrath, as Paul says in verse 20 of this chapter. Therefore, he says to them here in our verse in view, no, 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 a thousand times no. He says to them that this is not, underscore it, is not to be true of them since a fruit which the Holy Spirit produces in God's people is in fact being long-suffering toward one another. Now, of course, such a disposition as this stands in sharp contrast to those in the world who quite often fly off the handle with reference to others, right? I mean, brethren, as you know, non-Christians, unbelievers, very often blow up at each other. They pop their corks. They are short-fused, and they lose their cool altogether, etc. Ah, but brethren, here this day I say to you, that such things should never be named among us. Such worldly, ungodly, unhelpful, non-Christian tempers are that which are to be put to death by us with the Spirit's help, and this is because they are against the gospel ethic of the Word of God. And so hear then is the essence, the heart, the core, if you will, of our word at hand. According to the Bible, to be one who is long-suffering is to be one who has the spirit-wrought disposition of patience, of mind, and action, which refuses to snap quickly at people and to retaliate sinfully when wronged. It is that grace of the man that grace of the woman who could revenge himself or herself, but does not do it, just as Christostom, the great early church father, rightly says. Now, having said these things, of course, this does not mean that if you and I are sinned against by others in this place, that we are never to speak to them graciously and privately about such a thing. No, however, it does mean that whenever we do speak to others, that we are to do it with a disposition of self-restraint. Further, it means that we don't have to go to one another for every single little thing, even as we spoke of in the Bible study hour this morning, no. But rather, we are to put up with wrongdoings, speaking to others only when necessary, covering many, many, many things with a blanket of love. Now, having said all these things, of course, in and of ourselves, in and of ourselves, such patience as this towards others is going to be difficult at times, right? It will be hard for you and I to do, dear brothers and sisters here this day, no doubt. Ah, but having said this, dear ones, I say that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. With his strength, and with his grace, 
through our union with our lovely and living Lord Jesus Christ, all of these things are possible. Blessed be his name. Now, having said this, what is the ultimate, we could say, the great reason for why it is that we who are Christians are to be long-suffering toward others, especially when they don't treat us well. Well, uh, brethren, clearly the ultimate reason is because of God himself. It's him, and this is because no one is more patient than he is. Now, having said this, let's see this secondly now under the heading of the display of long suffering according to the Bible. Now, surely at this point, I could give you many other examples of those in Holy Scripture who were full of patience. I mean, we could think, for example, of Abraham, of whom the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6 and verse 15 that after he had, quote, patiently endured, he what? He says, he obtained the promise. Further, we can think of Job and the Old Testament prophets, of whom James says in James 5 and verse 10 that they were examples to us of, quote, patience. Additionally, in the New Testament, we could think of Simeon, who according to Luke chapter 2, quote, waited for the comforting of Israel in the coming of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we could even think of the Apostle Paul himself. For Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 in verse 10 that Timothy had carefully followed his doctrine, his manner of life, his purpose, his faith, and quote, his long suffering. Well, again, having said these things, it's clear to me that above all of them, God himself, that is to say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is the great example of what it means to be long-suffering toward others. This is the case. And what is God's long-suffering all about? Well, his long-suffering is, if you're taking notes, his gentle demeanor by which he patiently endures prolonged provocation from others, just as Reformed Baptist theologian Greg Nichols rightly says. Now, dear ones here this day, what I just said about God and all of those things is vital for you and I to get. And I say this because, again, it gives us who know God in truth the biblical basis the biblical rationale for us putting up with others when they are not all that they should be toward us. I mean, church, think about it. If anyone has put up with others who were not all that they should have been towards him, clearly it's God, right? It's the Lord our God. Thus, I trust that my point is plain. Now, uh, sadly, some think that uh, the God of Holy Scripture is very uh, quick to fly off the handle, as it were, with people, showing them no mercy at all. Ah, but, uh, friends here this day, this is completely wrong. Uh, this is completely false. Consequently, 
when God himself describes himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. We're told there that he proclaims concerning himself, saying that the Lord, the Lord God, is merciful, is gracious. He said that he is, quote, long-suffering or slow to anger. Well, then in confirming this, this is why, no doubt, the psalmist could say in Psalm 86 and verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God who is full of compassion, a God who is full of being gracious and, quote, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And then again, this is why the psalmist could say in Psalm 103 and verse 8 that, quote, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Now, it's worth noting here that this Hebrew terminology for slow to anger in the passage that I just quoted in your hearing literally means to be long of nose. If you're taking notes, write that down. Slow to anger, the Hebrew word long of nose, or we might say long of breathing. And so you ask Pastor Ventura, what exactly does this mean? Well, here the idea behind this idiomatic expression is that because God in his nature is indeed patient with people who sin against him daily, that nonetheless, his overall disposition is that he is very slow to breathe out wrath against them. Oh, church, I say that the point is he's slow to widen his nostrils, as it were, and be so enraged with individuals, putting forth what A.W. Pink, that great author from another generation, says, quote, that power of control which God exercises over himself, which causes him to bear with the wicked and forbear so long in punishing them. Now, to be sure, beloved saints here this day, this is good news, right? I mean, it's glorious news that God is patient with people. And again, as I said a moment ago, very practically speaking, all of this with reference to our great God is to be the foundation for why it is that you and I as his followers are to act this way toward others. For surely since God is patient with us and really all people in that regard, then we are to exercise that patience towards others in this place. And no doubt to our spouses and to our children and towards those with whom we work, etc. Now, having said this about God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we also see this same gracious, long-suffering disposition when Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, came into this world, right? In fact, beloved, in Jesus, God's slow-to-anger motif goes from declaration to incarnation. Thus, this is why, for example, in our Lord's earthly ministry, we see that he was very patient with others. 
We see, for example, that throughout his ministry, when his disciples were quite slow at getting all that he was trying to instruct them about, that he kept being patient with them. Further, while we know, of course, for example, that in the final day our Lord Jesus Christ will judge all of his enemies because of their sins against him, we see nonetheless that while he was on earth and was rejected by a village of the Samaritans, and his disciples asked him, saying, Lord, do you want us to call fire to come down from heaven and to consume them, to wipe them off the face of the earth, just as Elijah did? That Jesus rebuked them, saying, you do not know the manner of the spirit that you are of. And why? Well, Jesus says, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That was the purpose of his first coming. And so, church, here then, is a display of God's long-suffering from Holy Scripture for us to copy. Here we see that he's very patient towards those who don't deserve it. Consequently, this is why the Apostle Paul himself can say in 1 Timothy chapter 1, that although prior to his conversion... He was a persecutor of the church, yet he says in verse 16 of this chapter, However, for this reason I obtain mercy. And why, Paul? Well, he tells us when he says, So that in me first, Jesus Christ might show, quote, all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting Life. Well, in view of this church, I must say, what a wonderful Savior we serve. Amen? What a gracious, slow to anger God we serve. Oh, I say, brethren, we ought to bless our God for the simple fact that He is so forbearing. Now, having said this, you should also note here, that the Apostle Peter, by the direction and aid of the Holy Spirit, goes to pick up this strand of the Lord Jesus' patience toward us and applies it to us ethically when others mistreat us in 1 Peter chapter 2. That's what Peter does there. This is why, for example, if you're taking notes in 1 Peter 2 and verse 20 and following, Peter says to his congregation, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? And you take it how? Well, he says, patiently. He says, but when you do good and suffer, when we are wronged, and you take it patiently, he says, this is commendable before God. When you take it patiently, our theme for today, this is commendable before God. And why? Well, he says, for to this end you were called. What's the example? Here it is. Because Christ also suffered patiently leaving us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. And then he gives the details of it. Who, speaking of Jesus, committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth? Who, when he was reviled, reviled in return? No. When he was reviled, he was long-suffering. Hence, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, 
He threatened back? No. When he suffered, Peter says, he threatened not. And so what did he do? Peter says, but he committed himself to him, that is to say his Father in heaven, who judges righteously. And so church, in view of this, I must say, may it be that you and I in this regard will always be found following in the footsteps of our Savior, who did not retaliate, who did not threaten back when he was threatened. Yes, may this be the case, for this is what the nature of true biblical patience is all about. True biblical patience is about us being willing to endure the inconveniences put upon us by others, by God's help and grace. And it's about us being willing to receive injustice and irritants without retribution. Committing all things to God in faith, always keeping in mind his steadfast patience toward us in all things. Now having said this, about this Holy Spirit wrought disposition of long-suffering toward others, we need to ask now, where else does the Word of God speak about this matter? Where else is it put forth in Holy Scripture? Well, having seen so far for today the definition and display of long-suffering according to the Bible, come with me now to note thirdly its demonstration. Now, here is where I just want to mention several passages for us to think on so as to load our hearts and minds and consciences with this biblical truth. This teaching is one which is seen in many places in the Bible. So that, for example, again, if you're taking notes, uh, the writer of Proverbs could say in Proverbs 14 and verse 29 that, quote, a patient man has great understanding. However, a quick-tempered man displays folly. That's written by a Solomon, the wisest man in the world. A patient man has great understanding. But a quick-tempered man displays folly. Next, in Proverbs 19 and verse 11, the writer says there that the discretion of a man makes him, quote, slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transgression further. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, Paul could say there that love does what? What does it do? Well, as we seen some weeks ago when we were considering the very fruit of agape together, it does many things. But one of the things that Paul says is that love, quote, suffers long. And then in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul says that with all lowliness and all gentleness and with, quote, long-suffering, with patience, we are to bear with one another in love and agape. Well, next in this regard, in Colossians 3 and verse 12, Paul says there that as the elect of God, we are to put on what? Well, he tells us when he says we are to put on tender mercies, we are to put on kindness, we are to put on humility, we are to put on meekness, and he says we are to put on 
long-suffering. This is the garb. These are the clothes that we are to wear as the elect of God. We say that we're chosen of God even from before the foundation of the world. God marked us out by his grace to be saved in time, space, history. Well, one way that we prove that is by the spiritual garments that we wear. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. That's how you prove yourself to be one of God's elect. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, Paul says, now we exhort you, brethren. What's the exhortation? Here it is. Negatively speaking, warn those who are unruly. Positively speaking, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and, quote, be patient to all. Be patient to all. And then finally, in this regard, in Titus 2, in verse 2, Paul says that the older men, which would equal some of us in this place, are to be what? Well, he says sober. We're to be reverent. We're to be temperate. We're to be sound in faith and in love and in, quote, patience. In patience. Well, beloved ones here this day, on and on I can go with various texts in this regard. But I trust that this sampling is sufficient. Here the word of God is plain with reference to our being long-suffering toward others in this place. Therefore I say, dear ones, may all of us, with God's help, be found doing this very thing all of our days. And so, having seen something for today with reference to the topic of us being long-suffering, which the Holy Spirit produces in those in whom he truly resides, I want to begin to wind down by applying our theme for today, firstly, to those of you who are Christians in this place, to you here this day who are saved, having considered our subject at hand, how can you, how can I, cultivate this gospel fruit of long-suffering more and more in our lives in the days ahead? Well, here's where I want to mention four things. Four things, and the first is, you grow in this Holy Spirit grace of long-suffering by always keeping your eyes on Christ. For as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 and verse 3, we are to, quote, consider him. Consider him, says the writer. Look to him, that is, Jesus Christ our Lord, who endured such hostility from sinners against him. In other words, he was mistreated. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews there, who very well might be Paul, he says, consider him. Look to him who was mistreated by others. Why? Lest we become weary and discouraged in our souls. For we have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Number one, we want to grow in this grace of being patient with others. It's not easy, as I said in the outset. The Holy Spirit puts it in us. We've got to cultivate it. How do we do it? Number one, we look to Christ. We consider him. 
and all that he went through and how patient he was with people who mistreated him. I mean, even there on the cross, dying for sinners, as it were, he could have called 10,000 legions of angels to rescue him from the predicament. Oh, no, but he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Patient, 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 long-suffering was our Savior. And so you see, church, as you might think of some in your lives who you might be ready to snap at because of this thing or that thing, you are to remember nonetheless that our lovely and living Lord Jesus Christ had more reason to do this than perhaps anyone else in all the world, but he never did. He never did. He was patient with people. He endured with them. And so the application is you and I must do the same. We must look away from ourselves to a better one, even Christ. Remember, even though I might be suffering at the hands of this one or that one, my Lord Jesus Christ was patient when they were spitting on his face, plucking out his beard. He uttered not a word, so says John's gospel. He patiently endured all things for us, and therefore he becomes a model to us for how we are to live in this regard. Now, Having said this, of course, you must also note that not only is Jesus our great example of patience with people, but he is also our patience with people as well during such times. In other words, brethren, Jesus himself is the one who can give us help when we are feeling impatient with others. He's not just our example of patience. He is our patience. He is our peace. He is our long-suffering. Thus, we must regularly ask him to give us more and more of this wonderful gospel, holy and holy and spirit-empowered grace that we might live as God would have us to live. He's our example. Self is our patience, as it were. He's the one who can bestow to us the help and the ability to be long-suffering towards those who mistreat us. He, by the Holy Spirit, can work in us both to will and to do of God's good pleasure in this regard and in every other regard. Thus to Christ we must go if we would be successful in this thing. Consider him. Consider Jesus. When you're tempted to fly off the handle. To pop your cork. To act like an unbeliever. Again, whether it's towards those in the church. Contextually speaking, that's the first thing that needs to be in our minds and we need to ward it off as far as we can but again as I said earlier in other areas of life in our homes with our spouses in our homes with our children at the workplace etc oh brethren I say that we shame the gospel when we are people who are impatient we don't reflect our God who is very patient 
full of long-suffering. But secondly, you and I in this place grow in this Holy Spirit grace of long-suffering by reading the scriptures and seeing how the saints of old were very patient with reference to all kinds of people who mistreated them. And yet they, they suffered long. You see that in various places in the word of God. Consider Job. Consider the Old Testament prophets as James speaks of. Mistreated so regularly and yet they were patient. Therefore, as we read our Bibles, we grow in patience. Why? Because Paul says in Romans 15 and verse 14 that whatever things are written before were written for our learning. To what end? Here you go. So that we through the patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. Might have hope. And so on the human level, when we see people enduring hardships in the Bible, again, Job or the Old Testament prophets as they preached and the people rejected them time and time again, as they did their God. We can look on the horizontal level and just say, Oh God, help me to learn from such individuals. Read the Bible. Dear brother, dear sister here this day, consider the scripture so that through the patience which the scripture gives us in examples and comfort which we derive from the word of God, we might have hope. Sometimes people say that we often think that our own situations are so bad in life until we hear, see, or read about the situation that someone else is in, right? You get hurt, you hurt your foot, and oh, it's such a big deal in your life. And it very well may be until you happen to read somewhere that so-and-so was in an accident and lost both their legs. And all of a sudden, everything comes in perspective. Here I am with a hurt foot, but I've got both legs. And so it gives us perspective. It helps us to, to chill out, as it were, to, to, to settle ourselves. This is bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. And brethren, when we think about those in the Old Testament who endured so many things, as the writer of Hebrew opens up for us, that long list of trials and hardships that they experience, we can say, man, my lot is not as bad as they had it. And so as I look to their lives, their patience and their faith, their endurance, I can grow, you can grow in greater measures of patience toward others. Their example becomes very helpful for us through the patience and comfort of the scriptures. Third, you and I grow in this Holy Spirit grace of long-suffering by remembering that impatience toward others is not of God but of the flesh. It's not of God, it's of the flesh. Again, in verse 19 of our chapter, Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
They're manifest for all to see. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and all the rest. The point is, impatience, which produces many of these things, it's not of God, it's of the flesh. It's of the remaining corruption, which is still in our hearts. And therefore, brethren, you and I must have before our mind's eye that impatience, as I said earlier, is against the Bible's gospel ethic. This is not Christian. This is not right. I ought not to be short-fused. I ought not to fly off the handle and make excuses and just say, well, that's just how I am. No, that's not just how you are. If you're a Christian, if you're unsaved, well, yes, that's just how you are. But if you are saved, you have the Holy Ghost within you, and He can do amazing things in your life. He can take the impatient man or woman and make them a very patient person. They, the Spirit of God can take a person who is very unloving, and produce in them love. A joyless person, give them joy. A person who is at war with everyone and make them peaceful. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and our topic for today, long-suffering. So let's not get carnal and say, well, that's just how I am. I've always been that way. Well, stop being that way. Be a Christian. Act like a Christian. Cry to God, oh God, break the back of this wicked sin in my life. It's a godless disposition. And when we commit it against others, we ask them for forgiveness. We repent. We reconcile. And we ask God to help. Being impatient, not of God, but of the flesh. Thus we must avoid it at all costs. Well, fourthly and finally then, you and I in this place grow in this Holy Spirit, empowered disposition of long-suffering by continually meditating upon the promises of the Word of God concerning our futures in glory, knowing that all of the difficulties that we might experience in this life from the hands of others will never follow us in the life to come. We do experience hardship from others. I hope the case is not at this church, God forbid, but sometimes it happens. This is an accurate portrait of what Paul was dealing with in the various Galatian churches. He's not making his stuff up. It happens from time to time. Thankfully, God has spared us of so much negativity in this place. May he keep doing it. But sometimes it happens in the church. If it does, we deal with it one with another, graciously, privately, 
We speak to one another. We hear one another as we consider in the Bible study hour. Because Christians hear other Christians. I hear you. Not my intention. Please forgive me. And we go on. But beloved, even outside the church, we're, we're constantly dealing with irritants. And difficulties on the right and on the left. We're dealing with hardships. For as Paul says in Acts 14, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Oh, but friends, the good news of the Bible is that there's coming a time, there's coming a day when we will be in glory and all of these things will be gone forevermore. Can anyone say amen? So this is what we're looking to. We're looking toward the close of this age and the ushering in of the age to come. We're looking toward the new Jerusalem wherein righteousness shall dwell and reign forevermore. And so whatever your situation might be in this place as a believer, maybe again it's just that particular person at your job oh how he or she knows how to get under your skin so annoying Lord there's coming a day when all such annoyances will be gone forevermore even so come Lord Jesus come and so keep this eschatological, this end time reality before you, brethren. Again, like the Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to the world to come. Looking forward to the close of this age and the ushering in of the age to come. They were looking forward to be with the Lord. Because they knew that in Emmanuel's land, no more difficulties, no more difficult people, just joy and bliss and righteousness forevermore. Are you looking forward to that day, my dear brother, my dear sister? We live in a difficult day, a difficult time. Things are heating up in our own country of America. Unsaved people are getting more and more belligerent against Christians. Jesus spoke that in the last days there would be many trials even in one's home. Son against father, daughter against mother, and all those things. These are end time realities. It's not going to get better with reference to the wicked, no. It's going to get worse. Wicked men will wax worse and worse. And so how then can we maintain this gospel grace of long-suffering? towards those that at some times, if we weren't Christians, oh, it would not go well. 
But by the grace of God, we're going to continue to be all that God would have us to be. We're going to do all those things I've said in those three other points. But now finally, we're going to remember, oh God, one day, all of this stuff is going to be gone forevermore. It won't follow with me. But it will all be done away with in Emmanuel's land. Well, my beloved brothers and sisters here this day, might that comfort you? Might that encourage you? Might it give you some hope? Time is short. Christ will return for his church even as he's promised. And so wait his day. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not yours. So pray God. Pray Christ. Pray the Holy Ghost. Give me the help to bear and forbear with all these things that I'm currently experiencing to the end that I might reflect your own character, God. For you are slow to anger. And so let me close then with a word to any a non-Christian here this day. You're a person who's not been saved by the free grace of God in Jesus Christ the Lord. And maybe you're wondering, uh, how do I know if I'm saved or not? Well, a saved person is someone who is a new person, a new creation. That's a saved person. As I did just earlier on the fly, if you take all of the fruits of the Spirit and you flip them over, make them negative, you'd be a person who was not long-suffering, not full of kindness and goodness and faithfulness. No. You're full of all kinds of sins. All kinds of lies, all kinds of lust, all kinds of lewdness. All kind of anger, all kind of pride. You're not a Christian. A Christian is someone who is a new being. They have the Holy Spirit of God in them. So now what? They hate their sin and they love the Savior. That's a good definition of a Christian. That's the first thing that happens when someone gets saved. They begin to hate their sin and they begin to love Jesus. Isn't that it at its core. And when it happens to a person, they become, as it were, an anomaly to themselves because maybe five minutes earlier they used to love their sin and hate the Savior. Now everything's been flipped on its head. And so they become an anom an anomaly to themselves. What has happened to me? This is odd. People who know you might think that you're odd. I remember when I got saved over 32 years ago, my mom said to me, what did you, fall out of your bed, hit your head, and say, oh, I want to become a Christian now? It was so odd for her to see her son now hate his sin and love this Savior, even Jesus. What happened to you? Something is different about you. been to you. It's odd. You're different. I mean, it's you, but it's no longer you. 
course, that reminds me of the story of Augustine of old. You remember the story of the great theologian Augustine or Augustine. Before he was converted, he was such a wicked man. He was a profligate. He lived in wicked fornication, etc., drunkenness, lewdness, all the rest. And one day Augustine was walking through the marketplace as a Christian. God had saved him by reading the word, particularly Romans, where Paul says, Romans 13, put off the old man, language generally speaking, make no provision for the flesh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. That's how Augustine was living. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, embrace him. And he did it. He took up and read the word of God as the little girl was chanting there before him. Take up and read, take up and read. And he cracked open the Bible and boom. Make no provision for the flesh but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He repented, he believed, he was saved, and then sometime later he's walking through the marketplace. And a person whom he had been with in fornication from days of old cried out saying, Augustine, it's me, it's me! To which he replied saying, I know, but it's no longer me. It's no longer me. I know you see me and you think it's the same Augustine that you were sinning with, but it's no longer me. I become a new man in Christ. That's a Christian. The whole course of his life had radically changed by the grace of God. Here was a man who was very prominent. He was a rising star in the Roman Empire. An orator among orators. And his mom prayed for him nonstop, and he was finally converted. That's a Christian, a new person in Christ. And so if you're here this day and you're not a new person in Christ, by the grace of God, what can I say to you, my dear friend? But simply this, while it's absolutely true that God indeed has been very patient with you throughout the entirety of your life, not cutting you off in your sins and sending you to hell, but rather giving you multiple opportunities to turn from your sins and to trust in Christ to be your own Savior. Oh, my friend, I say to you this day that you must know that God's patience toward you will run out. It will run out. One day, the God of the Bible is going to call you to account to give a reckoning of the deeds done in your body. And think about all the sinful things you've done in your body and with your body. And my friend, at that time, if you haven't been forgiven of all of your sins through Jesus Christ the Lord, then that day will not go well for you. And so, since right now, this very day, the day of judgment, has not dawned, and the day of grace is still upon you. 
What must you do? The answer is simple. You must repent today. And you must call upon Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. He will not always strive with you. And he's been gracious. He's kept you out of hell all these days, all these years, all these decades. He's been kind to you. He's been long-suffering toward you. And why? Well, the answer of the Bible is plain, and it's found in Romans chapter 2. Let's turn there as we close. Romans chapter 2. Romans 2, here is Paul, deals with this very subject. Notice what he says. Romans 2, picking up in verse 3, and I'll read to verse 4 in your hearing. Romans 2, and if you're not a Christian here this day, but you're hearing my voice, that means God has been long-suffering toward you. He hasn't sent you to hell. Listen carefully. This is why he hasn't sent you to hell yet. Romans 2, verse 3, and do you think this, O man? Romans 2, verse 3, you who judge those who practice such things. In other words, you're a religious hypocrite. You say, I'm not as bad as others. But you do the same, Paul says. He says, do you think that you, you yourself, quite emphatically, will escape the judgment of God? Well, of course he does. He's a religious man. He's speaking to Jewish people. Thou art a Jew. Oh, I'm going to escape the judgment of God. I'm a good kid. I go to church. I was raised in a Christian home. I'm a Jew. I've gone to synagogue. Look, I've been circumcised. Paul says, do you think this old man that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul says, I think not. The point is you won't. Next verse. Or do you despise, look down upon the riches of God's goodness, his forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God in these ways leads you to repentance. That's what it's all been about, my dear friend here this day. The reason why you're not roasting in hell this day is because God desires your repentance. He's been patient with you for this very reason. But friend, as I said a moment ago, God's patience one day is going to run out, so repent even now. Even now! Because God has drawn the line in the sand when his patience will run out, and you don't know where that line is. You don't know how long it will last before you get to the line. Maybe some of you here this day are toes on the line. Therefore, I say, friend, hear the word of God when it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The day of judgment has not dawned on you yet. 
Thus the day of grace is with you this day. Make good on it. Run to Christ by faith, this loving Savior who receives sinners to himself just as they are. You don't have to clean yourself up. He'll do it for you. You don't need to do anything. Just come to him owning your sinnerhood. Oh God, I've been playing games with you. You've been patient towards me, but I've been a rebel toward you. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from them. And I receive your Son to be my Lord, Savior, my God, and my Master, my King. I put all my trust in who He is, Son of God, and what He has done, died in my place, shed His blood to cancel out all of my guilt before His Father in heaven, Accomplished my redemption by bearing my sin penalty in my place upon the cross of Calvary. God's patience will run out one day, my dear non-Christian friend, this day. And so take advantage of this opportunity which he has given you once again. My hands are clean regarding your soul. I've sought to lovingly warn you to receive Christ, to trust in him today to be your savior. And so may you be found doing this very thing. Let's pray together. Our great God, we are thankful that you are patient with the sons of men. Thankful, Lord, because we know that we don't deserve such a thing. Thankful, Lord, that for many in this place, while we were far from you, you waited patiently for us, as it were, to come to you by faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we might be received by you. We're thankful, Lord, that you didn't cut us off in our sins, which was what justice demanded. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Thus we bless your name this day for such kindness to us, hell-deserving sinners. And Lord, for the one here this day who is not closed with you, might they take the step of repentance toward you and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, even now.
that they might come to know your forgiveness, your mercy, your grace, and your abounding love. Oh God, draw some to yourself now. We pray and ask all of these things in your Son's wonderful name. Amen.